Hi everyone, welcome to Foresight's Existential Podcast. I'm really, really glad to have you here. Um, and I'll be joined today with by Beatrice and obviously by Anna and Anthony from the Future of Life Institute. And as you guys know, the Existential Podcast is a bit of a different podcast in the sense that we take the thinkers um, and doers that we feel most inspired by and instead on quizzing them on the technical details only of their work, We really try to look a little bit beyond and ask them what gets them really excited about a long-term future um, and what inspires an existential hope in their lives, in their personal lives, but uh, definitely also through their work and what gets them motivated. And I think Future of Life Institute is really one of the um, great organizations to have on board here for that. You really are, I think, um, one of the most hopeful organizations out there. Uh, you're not only a fantastic go-to resource for introductory material to various risks, from lethal autonomous weapons to virus and AI. But much of the Existential Hope website, which will be live at the time that this comes out, is really linking to many of the resources on the FLI website. But meanwhile, while you tackle all of the risks and while you really don't shy away, I think, from really addressing them, you also gather people about really long-term questions and a really beneficial and hopeful mindset. And you hold the really wildly respected and rather technical beneficial AGI conferences, uh, but also the more creative events like the Augmented Intelligence Summit, uh, which uh, we met at. And you have a really, really fantastic podcast um, with folks like George Church, Sam Harris, Sean Carroll, and, and so forth, uh, which I hasn't had the pleasure to be on a while back. And so all of you listeners out there, that's a really great one to subscribe. Uh, you also give out, which I really, really love, the Unsung Hero Award, which uh, you hand out to folks who've been really instrumental at improving the world without, at that time, getting much recognition for it. Um, and there's heroes, including um, uh, some that arguably prevented nuclear wars and um, to some that have really been um, instrumental at repairing the ozone layer. Uh, last but not least, Future of Life Institute is led by fantastic individuals, including Anthony Egeer, um, who is a physicist, uh, the co-founder of Metaculus, and who we have the pleasure of uh, having here today. And we're also joined by Anna Elisarova, who is spearheading FLI's world building contest, which we'll talk about in just a second. Um, so yeah, welcome both of you. Perhaps to start with, in case I missed anything, would you like to introduce yourselves perhaps one by one um, and maybe what brought you to FLI? Um, yeah, that would be lovely. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm Anthony. So I've been a, a physicist most of my career and a cosmologist. So I've Uh, part of that job is to think in very large distance scales and long time scales. And so what, what really started the future of life was a, a group of, you know, me and Max Tagmark and a few others who just were used to thinking on, on those length and time scales and the, the really big picture and thinking about, well, what happens when we apply that to humanity and, and our, our life on Earth? It's pretty clear that on, you know, we've been here on Earth for, you know, billions of years, the universe that we know of has been around for 13.8, um, but it's got trillions of more years ahead of it. So things are eventually going to be very, very, very different than they are now. You know, we're, we're looking at the world from even in the longest history, thousands of years. Um, but it's going to, if it's going to be around for millions or billions more, what does that mean? Like, how can we think about those questions? And so the, the future of life Institute was kind of born of that big picture Um And thinking that we're kind of at a, an inflection point at the moment, that there are, you know, there, there are major things like life started, intelligence uh, and technology started, computation started. And we're probably at another one of those turning points where uh, intelligence starts to be able to craft more intelligence and biology starts to be able to define more biology, where things are, are accelerating and the world is going to be very different like not even on millions of years time scale, but on tens or hundreds or thousands of years. So, so we wanted to jump in. Um, and so, so that, that was kind of our background that led to the interest in these, these sort of long-term issues uh, that, and so we started back in 2015 and 16 with a sort of like-minded group of people. And it's just been sort of fun from there um, and growing, growing the organization and team and doing all the, the fun things that Allison, you so kindly described as, as things that we've done. 
And I'll, uh, I'll chime in a few words just about my own background uh, as well. So my name is Anna, and um, I've been at FLI for about a year and a half, almost two years now. Um, my background is in computer science and communication. Um, yeah, I think I spent my undergrad, you know, um, studying technology and how to build it, build things. And I spend most of my master's thinking about um, why are we building it in the first place and why, what, what are its implications um, for, for, for society and people in general. And um, actually, of course, that Institute is a big part of um, why I'm uh, here today with FLI. I think when I was uh, out of school, it had a lot of like all the salons and events had a big, big influence in uh, what I wanted to do and uh, led me to this AI safety world. Um, and yeah, I have you to thank, Allison. Thank you for these awesome events. And I hope um, more people, um, yeah, more people have similar experiences in the area and and elsewhere now that we're in the virtual space. Wonderful. Thanks. Um, I think I would uh, love to hear you guys perhaps describe in a little bit more color and perhaps Anthony uh, is a great one to do this, what FLI really is working on in terms of a, its long-term mission, um, but then also in terms of a few kind of crucial projects that you're really excited about right now. Okay. Um so FLI's mission, I think we've, we've taken pains to, to think about both the, the sort of risks and the rewards that this big technological change is going to bring us. Um, we see that, as I said, things are going to change dramatically. Um, there's, a, there's a concern that if you take any system that's like okay and change it dramatically, it's very easy for it to get much, much worse. Uh, and the way that it doesn't get much, much worse is by people working really hard to make it better. So I think we have a sort of conundrum that the, you know, the default trajectory of a lot of dynamics that the world is undergoing now is just in various directions that could make it easily bad. Um, and we really have to take care to make sure that that doesn't happen and to steer it in the right direction. But the right directions are there and there, there's potentially a huge upside. And I think um, we've we temperamentally, I think, have this affinity for for the Foresight Institute because, you know, you have been really calling over and over again, let's not just worry about, you know, the the risks, which are there, but how do we really see the future? What do we see uh, all these technologies turning into? What kind of institutions can we build that are going to make the world good? So, so FLI certainly has that side to it as well. Um, so we're doing both. We a lot of our focus so far has been on artificial intelligence as the sort of next big transformative thing, uh, just because of timescales. Biology is clearly going to be just as big, you know, bioengineering and so on. Nanotechnology might be, but AI is here now. Um, so that's been a lot of our focus, both on the risk side, thinking about catastrophic or existential risk from AI, uh, and also what kind of institutions do we need to make AI as it's going to be in the world a force for good. So that there are a number of projects in uh, AI technical safety research and funding projects in AI policy and, and trying to work out what sort of governance structures that there should be. Um, and I, I was actually going through FLI's project list that had like 45 different significant projects on it yesterday and feeling like, Oh God. <laughs> so, so there's a lot going on. Um, but the, I would say the the one of the ones that I'm most excited about is well a set that I'm most excited about are really thinking about you know what does society look like if it works ten or twenty or thirty years from now and we we see a lot of institutions that are sort of failing us they've been uh, captured or they've just been like muddled into bureaucracy they're just not they're not working the way that we we wanted them to, we're going to need to dramatically reform a lot of them or replace them with new ones. And you can see that happening. Uh, so what are the what are the replacements that are kind of up and coming? And how do we create ones that aren't just capturing things in new ways, uh, like arguably social media kind of did? It was exciting, and now it's causing huge problems in all sorts of directions. How do we build institutions that are going to lead to the right sort of dynamics if they take over a big part of the tension space and a big part of the machinery of of society. Um, so that goes through Metaculus and the Improve the News project, um, and also this Positive Futures and 
uh, world building contests that that I hope we'll talk more about today. So those are what it, what really are exciting me a lot right now. About forty five projects. I have to go into that list again and look at them. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you know whenever I go through yours, um, I'm I'm definitely like they're they're, they're all really important. It's it's really difficult I think to prioritize uh, uh, amongst them. But I think you gave a wonderful segue into. Uh, the World Building Contest, which is spearheaded by Anna Yulizarova. And um, I think that if people want to take a minute also to check out the website, it's really beautifully done. And I think um, sometimes we really lack the ability to almost conceive, I think, of the many positive futures that we want to build. And I think uh, you've uh, really kind of like shepherded the way and like actually uh, setting the tone with constructing something that already has an aesthetic that I think is really inspiring to participate. So perhaps tell us a little bit more about what it is about and uh, yeah, how, how people can um, plug in. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. So yeah, uh, the contest launched uh, in January and it's open until uh, mid-April. So we're approaching the last month, still enough time to apply. But um, what we did was we set a, a set of constraints for you to think about a world and we asked for um, kind of elements Uh, to submit. We're asking for short stories. We're asking for um, a media piece or an art, some kind of art piece, uh, a timeline of events. And um, we're also asking for an answer to a series of usher prompts we have about this world. Um, but the interesting constraints we chose were one, this world is in 2045. So it's not that far into the future. And the world is overall good. It's not a utopia, but things have not gone completely wrong. So, um, and, and these constraints uh, are also kind of meant to help people brainstorm solutions to, to problems we're experiencing even today. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a really fun initiative. It combines um, analytical skills and creative skills, and it, it's kind of for everyone. And we have a lot of um, platforms where you can meet other people who you, might, you can partner up with, but It's supposed to be very collaborative and fun, uh, and uh, it should really speak to students, to writers, to scientists and AI researchers, or people more in the policy space, interested in geopolitics. Um, but yeah, it's definitely trying to use our creative uh, juices to imagine uh, hopeful futures, not just imagine them, but so work through in a lot of detail how we managed to get there. Um, so that's a little bit more about the contest. And as Allison said, I think all these details are also on um, worldbuild.ai. Yeah, thanks. And perhaps you could fill us in a little bit more uh, and maybe even Anthony, uh, uh, if you'd like, on what exactly world building actually is and, 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 and what are really the reasons why we need it? Like, what, what, why, why were you excited about launching such a contest yeah so so uh you said something earlier allison that, that was often we have trouble just imagining what the a, a positive future would look like uh and part of the reason it's hard is because you know it's hard to imagine to very different worlds than the one we live in but also because a lot of the worlds that we do imagine for the future have been uh built in a in the movie industry uh and other like adjoining industries that have tended to go in the more dystopian direction. So we, <clears throat> excuse me. So a lot of effort has gone into developing visions of the future for that commercial purpose. Um, and, and that has led to a certain set of pictures, but we can use the same sort of envisioning apparatus that we want to sort of construct the whole world in which a fictional narrative is taking place Uh, but use it in a more positive sense. So, so the, the sort of idea of world building, I'm not sure when the term originated really, but one of the early examples that people point to a lot is uh, the Lord of the Rings series, J.R.R. Tolkien. You know, he famously invented whole languages, um, drew maps, had whole societies. There was a whole world that he built just to set his uh, novels in. And, and that's kind of now been recognized as a really crucial component. If you're writing a science fiction or fantasy or something novel that doesn't take place strictly in our world, you really have to do the work to, to like, how does the economics work? How does the science work or magic, if, there, if there's that or whatever? What are the rules to the world? And what are the artifacts that sort of things that exist in it that give you the feeling? Because otherwise it won't feel real when you're reading the narrative. You know, you, you won't be able to imagine it or picture it. It won't be as satisfying. Um, so there's a whole 
system and apparatus that's been built up for how to do that. And, and there are even, you know, you can go to take classes in world building and do a world building program and, and so on. There are, there's a whole industry. Um, and so the purpose here was to use it both as a tool for just encouraging people to think through the details of what the future might be like. So kind of building concrete scenarios, uh, but going beyond that to, to add in the creative and the, and the experiential component so that there'd be a way for people to feel themselves in those futures for exactly this reason that we, you know, we want to uh, give an opportunity to have it sink in in a more visceral level, what positive futures could look like rather than just have those be vague, you know, ideas and the dystopian ones and, and sort of uh, disasters be very concrete and understandable. Um, now, don't get me wrong. It's important that people understand the disastrous scenarios so that we can avoid them. Like, that's really important. Um, but we don't want to only be thinking about the, all the ways that things can go awry because um, all kinds of reasons. Yeah, I remember at the Augmented Intelligence Summit um, that uh, you were also a part of. And I really, really, really so much enjoyed the world-building exercises there. I thought that they were like, they still stick with me. So I really do think that like actually having like having people go through the motion and inspiring them to actually think through what that world would be like, what it would be like to inhabit it is like, it, it, it just makes you realize the future on a very different, more visual level almost than uh, if you just think about it theoretically. So I'm, I'm personally dying to, dying to read through and like listen to and, and watch all of the proposals that will be submitted. And I know actually of a lot of people that are, um, uh, that are planning to submit. So I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited for this contest. Um, okay, um, you already brought up Tolkien, which is another really great segue into how does the concept of a world building really relate to existential hope? And do you want to take a stab at that? I think we've both started uh, touching on that. Um, we intentionally set our world in a hopeful future. And I think this is really helpful to do for a few reasons. Well, for one, if you it's much, much harder to imagine um, every single thing that could go wrong uh, in our society. And that's what we're seeing in our media and Hollywood and books, these post-apocalyptic movies of like, here's 10,000 versions of everything going wrong and how we're living in the aftermath. Um, it's much harder to imagine positive futures because in a way you have to explain how did we avoid um all of these issues. How did we avoid global conflict and nuclear war? How did we avoid, um, you know, AI um, problems with narrow AI and all of, all of the things we work on, all of the risks we care about? I think both at FLI and Foresight have to be somehow at least addressed for someone to envision a future that's hopeful. So I think it's really a helpful exercise because it, it is problem solving in a way. It's you hypothesizing, okay, what's, uh, what do we need to get there? What kind of institutions can we form? Uh, what needs to change? Does regulation needs to change? The human values need to change? Um, yeah, how do we organize ourselves to ensure that future? And I guess the second, the second part uh, to counterbalance that is more of the storytelling, the inspiration. And I think it does have an effect on us when most of fiction is set in dystopian futures. Like I think as a society, we have a very negative relationship with the future. And I'm hoping that um, the more groups, the more artists produce, um, yeah, these visions of hopeful future. Uh, it gives people hope and has something to work towards. Like if everything is bleak, you know, why try, right? But if you have these aspirational visions you want to get to, well, maybe, you know, you, you do work a bit harder or decide to take a career path in a certain direction or study certain topics because you're you're passionate about getting there. So it's also hope, it's hopefully inspiring people into action, into trying to execute the visions. Uh, so it's both to crowdsource ideas and to inspire people um, to work towards that. I think that's the relationship there. And you could do world building in dystopian futures, but I would argue there's already enough of that. At the moment. And um, I think probably all of the world building we're thinking about at FLI, we're going to try to, am I wrong here, Anthony, to think of hopeful futures? I think so. Because it, I mean, it, it's almost too easy to build dystopian ones yeah. um, in a sense. You just kind of make all the things that are obviously tending to go wrong, go wrong. Um, 
I wanted to add one other thing, which is, you know, why is it world building? Like there is a place that we get lots of positive visions of the future, which is, you know, new products and services and things that get sold to us. People come up with a new startup and they're like, it's going to be so great because it's going to do this. It's going to make the, you, you're, you'll have a little keychain that starts your augmented reality thing and everything will be wonderful. And so there's this, all this hopeful, uh, and some of that is true. You know, some of those things do turn out to be really great. Um, but what's missing from that is is that the interaction of all those things with each other and with the dynamics of society and and having making sure that all of these wonderful individual little things actually come together to make a wonderful world. Because we can see that we've created lots of new, exciting technologies. Are we actually that much better off or that much happier you know, now than we were 20 years ago. That's very unclear, even though we've got all this amazing new internet, all this amazing new technology, AI, all this biotechnology. Is the world better? That's pretty unclear, right? Um, because what's crucial about technology is not that it exists, but how we actually use it to to make a, a world that works well for the people in it. So I think the part of why it has to be world building is you really have to think through how does all this fit together? Like, what does it actually mean when you put these technologies and the humans and the historical dynamics and social dynamics together? Can you build a world that is positive and makes sense, like as a whole, where where all of these things are self-consistent and fit together? And you can see, like, how does it make sense that we get our information from X, Y, and Z source, and it's true, and it, like, leads to good decisions and things like that? Or that we, how do we, you know, uh, reduce inequality, financial inequality between people in a way that actually makes sense and you know is consistent with the way that economics and the world actually works. Um, so, I think the world part is really important for that reason, and and that's why it's difficult and it has to be ambitious because otherwise you it's too easy to just create one little thing or imagine one little thing that's good. Yeah, thank you. Um, so you got me excited. Um. How do I join? Uh, and and when I join, um, what is kind of beyond the world building? So perhaps you can just give mm -hmm. people a little bit of an understanding of like what can they expect if they're excited about it? Uh, you know what what do you plan to do with the products and uh, with the fruits of this beautiful labor? Um, uh, yeah, what's next? Yeah, I I can say a little about that. Um, so the the contest will happen, and there will be. Uh, you know, lots, I think, of entries. I'm super excited about that. So just reading them, I'm looking forward to. And I think that will be, uh, I, I think that people who read a whole bunch of these essays will just actually sort of change their mindset is my guess. So so trying to get lots of people to read lots of these entries, I think will be one of our goals just because I think that will be healthy. Um, so, so the winners, um, there will be a lot of publicity and just try to get people to have contact with those those products. We also wanted to turn it want to turn it into more things. So there uh, there are plans to do a screenwriting contest that will follow up, and some of those screenplays may be set in some of the worlds that are created in this contest. Um, there are further plans to potentially run the screenwriting contest that goes into a movie making contest, so we can take some of the worlds and screenplays and turn them into movies. So there are plans along those lines for media. Um, we also have intentions to some of the winning teams to then commission future work from them. So if you've got this amazing group of people who has built this world, they can do it again. So rather than have it be 2045 with this set of constraints, let's think about a, a whole different scenario that has a different set of constraints. Because obviously the world is not going to work out exactly like any of these builds. You know, the future is very hard to predict. Um, so we want to think about different scenarios and one of my goals is to think, you know, if we have 10 different scenarios where the world is a pretty good and hopeful place and they, and like eight out of 10 of them have this kind of thing happening in them, let's try to make that kind of thing. Like that kind of thing is obviously really important, um, whether it's universal basic assets or is it uh, really good AI assistance or is it some sort of new uh, media institution or whatever it is. Um, if it keeps coming up in hopeful worlds, well, we better have that because if we don't have that, like the chance is much lower of having a really good world. So we want to create more along different 
you know, create more different scenarios and build more different worlds, both to experience, but also to learn from in terms of what policies and governance and social structures we should be trying to create and, and encourage now in order to like make it more possible that we'll end up in one of those good worlds. Yeah, I also love that it's really a forcing function that gets like lots of different people across disciplines to cooperate with each other, like in the sense that, mm -hmm. you know, I think even just cooperating, let's say, with a fantastic storyteller, someone perhaps working on AI may then themselves feel much more inspired to actually be building that future. So I think that even just like, I think oftentimes the bits and pieces are all kind of like assembled at different locations in the world. But I think you're just really encouraging this like super difficult, but super, super fruitful um, multidisciplinary uh, collaboration. So I'm super excited what comes out of it. Um, okay, wonderful. Well, you already mentioned that the year that this one is set in is 2045. Um, could you explain a little bit perhaps more about why you picked that year? And I already uh, love what you said about that there may be either future years or like different years or perhaps even different topics. That's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll, um, I'll answer that in a second, but I just wanted to mention one last thing that I th think we just haven't mentioned. There's a lot of prize money to be won also. <laughs> we haven't mentioned this yet. <laughs> so there's like why we're doing the contest and what happens after. But, you know, the winning um, the winning team uh, gets uh, 20 grand. Um, I think there's up to $100,000 of um, a prize purse of $100,000 to be won. So um, definitely... You know, taking it seriously and, uh, you know, going through this um, this fun uh, thinking exercise could also uh, pay out. And we're trying to encourage collaboration. So um, the the prize purse grows with uh, the size of your team. There's a multiplier. All that's on the website. But one more reason to apply as well. Um, and then, yes, why the year 2045? Um, I think it's more interesting to pick a year that's a bit closer to us that, you know, feels reachable. Most of us would still be um, alive, presumably, around then. Um, if we pick something too far into the distant future, then it almost feels like working with a blank canvas and feels a little bit like cheating. You can just be like, oh, I don't know what happened to them, but here, how are things now? But You know, if we're if we're talking 2045 in the next 20 years, how does the world change? Um, you kind of have to kind of have to fix the current world. You can't you can't wave a magic wand and say, oh, we're suddenly living in space and, you know, we're a multiplanetary species and this is happening and everything is lovely. Um, thinking about the next 20 years really puts the emphasis on the uh, problems on the horizon it's just a big 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 part i guess it's important to highlight here that we're not looking for submissions of worlds where everything just is fine and dandy and nothing bad happens to us by sheer luck we are very interested in worlds that have friction that have problems that have conflict but those things don't escalate and those so, the, those um challenges are somehow um addressed not by luck but by human ingenuity or, you know, our uh, collaboration or something um, by by our efforts and not by problems not arising or problems luckily just going away. Um, so that's kind of why 2045. And um, yeah, I think that that covers that pretty well. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah, I think that, you know, that is the problem also of usually optimistic hopeful futures is that um, you know, like a really good story needs friction, right? And it needs like struggle. And I think that, you know, just building a, uh, like a blind utopia is just not, uh, like it, it, it doesn't make for, for a really great story, even though there's a very interesting, uh, uh, like older writing from Bostrom who deals with what is tragedy in utopia. And uh, it's quite interesting. Okay. Well, I'll just throw that out there as a nugget. Um, but. Yeah, thanks, Anna. Um, and yeah, 2045 is definitely something I think that is still close enough that you can't wave a magic wand. And I think that it is sometimes crazy to think about. I remember when it was the year uh, 2000 and um, and and then thinking 2020 still at that time seemed so incredibly far away. And yet, you know, like obviously now we're here. And so I think that time obviously flies much faster than we think. So this, this uh, yeah, this year is really, uh, really upon us. Um Okay, wonderful. So perhaps we uh, tie a bow on the uh, on the world building contest on, on FLI and move a little bit more into um, uh, into actually trying this out right now. 
um, and into imagineering a little bit uh, ourselves. And so uh, I'll hand it over to Beatrice to guide us a bit more into the uh, existential part uh, of our conversation. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you, Anna and Anthony, for joining us. Uh, and I just also want to, before I get started on on the questions, say how meaningful FLI has been to me, because I, I was just sort of a fan of Max Tegmark and his books, and I found out about FLI through him. And that was at a point when I wasn't aware of this whole ecosystem of organizations that sort of working on and thinking about the future. And, and so FLI was sort of a funnel for me to get into the ecosystem. And I was an FLI fan before I knew Foresight existed. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's really interesting to hear you talk about how what FLI does and the world building system. But as Alison mentioned, we're going to try it out a bit here now. Um, and so I'll direct this question to both of you. But um, maybe Anna, you can start. But would you like to share if you have a vision of existential hope um, for the future? Sure. Uh, I think I'll I'll start with something uh, not too too utopian or, or super future facing, something more grounded in, in near future and um, something that's realistic to strive for. I mean, for me, it's the technology is less important than the people. So for me, it's really seeing um, seeing more, a more abundant world with less scarcity. And, you know, better quality of life for more people across the globe. Of course, AI is a huge part of making that happen. You know, if we have a more productive society, we all need to work less. But even if we do have uh, AI, like really advanced AI systems that make life easier, you know, you could you could see, um, you know, that the fruits of that labor being concentrated in very few hands. So to me, my, my vision of existential hope is maybe a future where we figure out our values once and for all as, as humanity and uh, where the incentive structures are reworked a bit, where the main driving force isn't um, like this, this unintentional driving force that is markets. Um, and yeah, I'd like to see us live more sustainable, more healthy lifestyles and um rethink our relationship to work completely and and meaning fulfillment. Like I'd love to see a future where all of us have to work a lot less and really get excited about thinking like, what does that look like? What kind of communities do we form? Where do people spend their time? And, um, and, you know, I'd love to see a future where everyone's basic needs are met. And yes, you can work to enhance your, your lifestyle um, but I'd love to see a world where, I don't know, we're actually paid to go to school. Like I've been out of university for like seven years now, so six, I don't know, gosh, it's been a while. But, uh, and I keep discovering things and I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I'd, I'd studied this in school. And it's such a huge, huge effort to go back and you put your life on pause. You have to save money. You have to take out a loan. It's, it's this whole endeavor. And maybe if we all could work less we could spend more time re yeah re rethinking our relationship to education and learning like um i would love i would love to see uh, us rewarding people for furthering you know human knowledge and um a world where no one has to work to meet basic needs where work is something you do either because you think it has value what you're doing maybe you're organizing something in your local community or maybe you're like trying to build something that's useful to people um, and um, or maybe work augments your quality of life marginally. Right. But, um, but it becomes this whole different playground of how are we spending our time? And I think that excites me a lot more than thinking about like, you know, flying cars and um, human, uh, human brain interfaces and telepathy and <laughs> living in a world with VR is just um, a world with more abundance where there's less friction because there's, yeah, there's less scarcity and it becomes a, a human, human discussion, human problem. Um, I love thinking about how groups of people make decisions together, live together and all of things. Yeah, it's not too futuristic, but I think it's still very hard to achieve. I think that sounds great. And like that 
and a flying car in addition. That's a background. There's a flying car. Yeah. Anthony, do you want to share? Sure. I, I, I would endorse, I think all of the things that Anna said, um, I think just raising everybody's quality of life to sort of the level that, that we four, for example, enjoy would be just gigantic in terms of, in terms of the, the greatness of the world. Um, I think I, the, the sort of, uh, overall feeling I have in, in my vision of a positive future, I think is that we've managed to keep the empowerments and sort of agency with people and, and their decisions. Um, I think there, there's a tendency that we're going into in the world now that people are feeling kind of powerless, like they can't change things. They're stuck in, as in like some big system that they can't really understand or control. Um, and unfortunately I think that that may well get worse. Um, if we don't do something good about it. So, so I think my, I'm excited about a future in which there, there's a lot more sort of capability built into the system um, and given to people to have autonomy and agency and, and to, to like work together to make decisions in a way that uh, respects kind of the way human social dynamics work, but mediates it better using technology. So I, I think there are, um, humans have been around for a long time and we were like pretty good at making decisions in groups of five and 10 and 20 and maybe a hundred. Um, we're not so great at making decisions on with much, much bigger groups of people. Um, because we, you know, we haven't evolved to be able to do that, but we do now have technologies that will allow us, I think, to make better and better decisions in bigger and bigger groups. Um, we haven't done it though. We haven't really built those systems that are effective at using the technology that we have to to do governance and governance and social institutions well. Um, so that's one of the things I'm most excited about. We we have this sense of all these technologies are changing, but the way we interact as people are our governmental and governance institutions will be pretty much the same as they have been for the last hundred years or something. There's no reason to think that. And there's and I think there's every reason to avoid that actually. We we want to keep the good parts of those, but I think we really need to reinvent uh, a lot of things and make them work with the technology we'll have. So that plays a big part in my view that, um, that there, along with material abundance, there's kind of social and agency abundance in, in the people and that things are very deeply human centered. And that we, we keep in mind that, you know, our governments and our economy and our corporations and things, they act, they, they exist to serve us, like not the other way around. It's so easy to let it be the other way around. And we don't have to, like we ultimately are, um, at least for now, still in charge. Uh, and and we, I think we can make them work for us. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I So this sort of touches on what I wanted to ask next, which was if if you see any potential risks and how we could avoid them. I feel like you, you hinted at that, uh, you know, we're still in charge, uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> might be that we're not um yeah do you want to just if you see any potential risks and how we can what we need to get around them Mm -hmm. yeah i guess um just better governance of all these technologies i guess if if i had to answer it in one sentence it would be that it would be um you know, um, oh, AI could could lead to this. You know, automated, unintentional, narrow AI could 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 degenerate into that, or or um, more advanced AI systems could lead to this kind of world. I think just maybe better governance systems for developing potentially dangerous technologies seems like the the single most important thing. I mean, for all of the technologies, there's going to be risks, whether we're and all of them are going to you know develop very quickly uh whether we're talking about ai or biotechnology you know maybe you have god forbid more issues um on the pandemic front um or you know maybe it's or maybe it's something more subtle like what we're seeing in the, the sense making media ecosystem um that, that's a huge problem right now and it was very unintended but yeah i think i think we need to have a better um better institutions or better safeguards against um against the groups building in these different silos i don't know exactly what the solution look like it looks like otherwise we've already implemented it so it's a very wicked problem 
Um, but I think I mean also has to come from helping prevent race dynamic scenarios and trying to so much of technology is, you know, comes out of military and weaponizing things. And I'd love to see us build more things for, for, for other reasons, but I think, you know, the AI safety community is growing and I feel hopeful that a lot of people are thinking about, about all the risks and not enough, but a lot of people are thinking about these issues. And I think we do have momentum to, to try to influence the people building the tools. Uh, so to me, it's less about uh, the technology and more about the governments. So technology is, you know. Do you have anything to add, MP? Yeah, I think I, well, she brought up, and I think you brought up too, an important point, which is if you think back 10 years ago, this whole ecosystem, as you described it, Beatrice, of, of, people trying to build better worlds like didn't exist. I mean, there were lots of people thinking of like trying to improve the world, obviously, but the, the, the sorts of things that we're talking about now, how do we systemically think about the future and all the failure modes and try to avoid them and build new institutions in a global way, that whole community wasn't there. And now we have existential risk conferences with like a thousand people at them like that field didn't exist 10 years ago so i mean it's a it's an amazing progression i think on the optimistic side that people are really impassioned and and excited about you know making this whole set of dynamics better you know so we see outside manifestly all the things going wrong it takes more looking to see all the people who are working so hard to make things go better but they're there you know uh, and there are a lot of them, and they're and they're very talented. Um, so that's just a bit of optimism. I'd say in, in terms of risks, I think they're kind of the big, obviously obvious, catastrophic and existential risks that I think we're worried about. But I I worry a lot also just about the the kind of slow things get crappier and crappier sorts of risks um, that we that we sleepwalk into because they're the like big, hard to understand systems that we've designed, like the just the whole extractive industries, the social media economy, the the media ecosphere where memes, you know, things reproduced by memes instead of truth, um, the like all kinds of just money maximizing systems that are just running and running and running, um, the just steady grind of those things that make turns more and more of us into paper clips. <laughs> you know, if you think about the paperclip maximizer, like what if we're in it? You know, version one. Um, that's what worries me a lot is that we just, we've built these big systems and nobody is in control of them. They really aren't like, they're just grinding away, um, making the world worse and worse. And, and that they, once they get powerful enough, it's very, very hard to dislodge them. So that's, that's one of the worries that I have a lot, that it's just a slow catastrophe, um, that, and that we're, and we're boiling frogs that are, that are in it. Um, so I think, in that sense, it's good that there is so much attention to, you know, what's going wrong in social media and what's going wrong with the media ecosystem and what's going wrong with the like extractive capitalist system in certain ways. Like the fact that these are big in our mind, I think is hopeful in that sense, because we're not ignoring them. Um, that the, like people are now becoming conscious of those problems and being conscious of something is really important for being able to change it. Um, so yeah, that, that's what I would say is my, uh, you know, the risk that isn't even a small probability. It's like a very big probability <laughs> that that risk is going to be realized. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then it is, those slower risks are obviously more hard to to get people to pay attention to and to worry about. But then it is hopeful, like you say, that this ecosystem is growing and the muscles of it is growing in so many ways, like financially and uh, brain power and everything. Um so then I will I will uh, jump into asking you if, if you're uh, Anthony. I think you mentioned you are positive or you try to be positive. Uh, do you consider yourself positive about the future? And what what would you say has made you so? If you are, I would say, and I, I, I've joked with this about other people that that one of the things a lot of people at FLI I think hold in common is that we are intellectually pessimistic and temperamentally optimistic that like it's very clear all the like bad directions that things can go and and some of them are going 
Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, people are not just sitting around like heavily drinking and like bemoaning the state of the world at, at FLI. Everybody is thinking about how to productively and sort of agentically change things and make this better world. So I don't know if that's like just a quirk of psychology that we tend to share. I, I probably, um, I think it is hard. Um, I mean, I, I, I think it's maybe part of it is, um, you know, when you, when you see these negative things and you feel like there's nothing you can do about them, you tend to get very depressed about it um, because you sort of have to be, you just have to be resigned. You know, if you can't do anything about it, I think as soon as you actually feel some capability and agency and camaraderie among people that you're, you can take some tangible steps to improve things. Um, I think that has a real positive effect. You can still see the problems, but just psychologically, the fact that you are actually working hard to do something about it, I think is inspiring and makes you uh, tend to have a more like optimistic vision of things. Uh, it just kind of goes with the process at some level. Um, so I think, you know, if I had to lay out a bunch of probabilities for how negative the future would be in a sense, like I, I might attribute more probability to the future being like kind of crappy than good. Um, so in that sense, I'd, I'd say I'm like a, uh, metaculous pessimist. Uh, <laughs> but, but I, like, I really, really, really think that, um, uh, I mean, you can think the same thing about your own individual life. There are lots of ways that it can go bad. Um, but you still try really, really hard to, you know, you know, all these tragic things are going to happen in your life, but nonetheless, you still go to college. You still get a job. You still find a partner. You still like have family. You still go and do fun. Like you, you do all these things and build a positive life, knowing that there are going to be like bad stuff and tragedies and things. And I think w I, I hope that as humanity, we will do that too, not just get depressed and hide in our room as, as humanity, but be out there like excited and living lives. So um, yeah, a, 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 a mixed, mixed, I would say. Um, but uh, that's just me personally. Um, undaunted, I guess. <laughs> Anna, what about you? Um, I'd say I'm generally an optimistic person. Um, I mean, yes, there are risks and things that keep me up at night for sure. But even though there's maybe, like Anthony said, less a narrower stretch of paths towards nice futures than there are, like, these are things that could go wrong. I still, um, I still just always hope for the best. And I mean, we can always complain about um, issues we're experiencing and how the world is so much worse. But I think, I think, you know, our lives are probably much better than definitely for me. When I hear stories from my parents, my grandparents of empty shelves and grocery stores, and I don't know, they've, Things could could go wrong very quickly, but things have been progressively improving. Um, and, you know, that gives me hope, uh, even though sometimes I might go around rant about the Internet or social media algorithms. Like still overall, we're, we're a lot more fortunate than we were in previous years and past generations. Um, whether that's sustainable is uh, left to be seen, but um, I would still think I'm hopeful definitely um and my parents like my family you know grew up in the former soviet union and i think had it definitely much harder than we have and to see the difference in quality of life and freedom and choices had how to spend your life is, is pretty staggering and um yeah it's it it, it gives me hope and even even though all of those things have happened throughout the years. I feel like most people in my family are still very positive people. They somehow turned out well. Um, yeah. yeah. I like what you uh, said also, Anthony, about the you know psychological quirks. And uh, I think, you know, like maybe to uh, use them a little bit, uh, I think one thing that you have brought up was 
uh, talking uh, in the uh, in 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 his importance to world building. And interestingly enough, the term new catastrophe, which was introduced by Toby Ord and Owen Cotton Barrett in the um, I think really seminal existential home. And paper, um, uh, they attribute that to Tolkien. Um, and so perhaps, you know, to, uh, to really uh, do like maybe one final kind of like stretch of the imagination here, um, you know, the term really is described to describe an event uh, that is the opposite of a catastrophe. So almost an event after which, you know, really the expected value of the universe or um, it's much higher so that we can really see much higher uh, or, or like much better futures happening. So what we try to do um, to make this podcast actionable is always, um, you know, ended with um, having our guests go through this exercise in the sense that we would love uh, for you guys to tell us about, um, A, is there a better term for the word you catastrophe because it is so, um, so catastrophe invoking. Um, and, and then also more importantly, perhaps uh, you can describe uh, almost like a day in a life, like what would an you uh, catastrophe event really be like an event after which, you'd feel much more optimistic that the future would actually go well. What we will then do is on the back end, we will use that to um, as a story prompt to write a story about that um, with a Gitcoin bounty and also try to create an artwork that actually visualizes um, this uh, the, the, this day in your life and, the, and this future that you're describing. And so perhaps, um, Anthony, uh, you'd like to take a stab at that first. What would be like a eucatastrophic moment for you? And if you have a better term, feel free to also throw that in. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. Uh, I think there's in, in physics there's a term phase change, um, you know, which you which you use to describe not just things like water and liquid and gas, but but lots of other systems where um, there's just a a fundamental qualitative change in the system that happens um, or phase transition. Um, and and the system is just fundamentally different. So I, I'm not sure if positive phase transition is is any better than eucatastrophe, but that's kind of the way that I think about it. That there's, um, that there's something fundamental that is shifted, but it's in a in a good way. Um, I think I have a little bit of a worry that that this is a. Uh, that this may be a thing that we that is too much wishful thinking in the sense that I that um you know it's very humans are complicated and our desires are very very complex and I and I worry about there being like a simple thing that can change that can that can satisfy our very complicated wishes and desires right whereas it's very easy to thwart lots of our wishes and desires in a simple way like uh, any any catastrophe does, um, but I, I will I'll make it go. So so one of the things that came out of the the augmented intelligence summit was the idea of um, fiduciary AI assistants, or uh, I've been calling them loyal AI assistants more lately. Where the idea is that there there's a very very powerful AI system that doesn't have self interest, um, and it really does sort of work for you personally in advancing your own goals and, and interests. Um, so it's, it's like the really great personal assistant mixed with a whole bunch of other things. Um, and I've come to think that this is really actually something like this, that, that is very empowering to individuals. You know, it, it literally is sort of empowering you. Um, and uh, using the the high powered information technologies for people rather than against them, like getting to know you really well so it can help you achieve your goals rather than getting to know you really well so it can manipulate you. Like there will be systems that get to know us really well. We'd better have it be the first thing more than the second thing. Um, so I I sort of imagine a a pretty significant phase transition being widespread availability of high powered um, loyal. AI assistants, um, because I think, you know, you can imagine really high powered ones that are helping you do science or like solve difficult problems. You can imagine uh, just good ones that are just helping you with your everyday life and navigating this sort of this incredibly complicated world that we're in full of like information dynamics and, and things that are frankly trying to like take advantage of you half the time. Um, 
So, so I, I, that's how I imagine. So, so there could be a, this would be a sort of system or companion that wouldn't be annoying like Siri or Alexa, um, because you wouldn't feel like you're in sort of conflict with it all the time. Like, because Siri never does what he wants and Alexa always does what Amazon wants. Like you, this would really be working for you. So, so that's an example of one that I think I feel pretty good about because it's not a single thing that happens that, that, um, might run counter to some of your complicated uh, desires and goals, but something that is co- explicitly constructed to help you figure out what those complicated desires and goals are and realize them, you know, on an individual basis. Wonderful. Yeah. I remember when we once had like a little brainstorm on this um, and, and I think it's something that is incredibly tangible and, and not too far off um, with that, you know, uh, you probably have to hop. So we'll let you go. Uh, thank you so much. I think that's a really, really great, uh, you know, final point uh, for your comments. So thanks a lot for uh, for joining us, Anthony. Um, and it was really, really wonderful to have you on board. Um, and uh, I'm really to imagine quite concrete, but yet uh, quite, I think, still to some extent, really open-ended and flexible futures. So thanks, Anthony. Um, yeah, thanks and, for yeah. having me. It, it's been wonderful, <laughs> wonderful to be here. And just thank you for for running this and for all your work in foresight. Um, one of the the really visionary organizations in the world. So, thanks, Anthony. Um, Wonderful. Anna, we would still really love to hear from you. Um, uh, What is eucatastrophic moment for you? Yeah, um, first, a few words about the term itself. Um, Yeah, I guess it's reflecting on eucatastrophe. To me, it's not just um, something really good just happening out of the blue. It's in storytelling, especially if you thinking about uh, Tolkien and it's not just, oh, magically something happens. It's like, no, everything is at the brink of collapse. Things are like about to end very badly for all the, all the characters we care deeply about. And suddenly there's a knight in shining armor with an army with the rising sunlight that comes like that. I think that's what he was referring to as eucatastrophe. So I think a eucatastrophe cannot come without the looming threat of uh, of a catastrophe in the way I'm interpreting the term. I know we're still kind of, you know, uh, jamming on the term here, but so in a way, a eucatastrophe, eucatastrophe would follow um, something horrible. Perhaps it's, you know, we're at the brink of, you know, firing nukes at each other and somehow we figure out a way to agree on a better world order for like uh, we 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 agree to be you know the, the bigger person and not do that or figure out some kind of agreement to avoid this thing and that could give people a lot of hope but yeah i wonder if um if you're thinking about ai what, what that could look like and um i mean i think a lot of people are really fed up with you know th- their needs not they not being met and society growing more and more unequal turning uh, the nonstop churn and I could see maybe things frictions building up building up building up where you know things are getting almost violent and um, very dicey and either some agreement is breached or some fund is set up or something is, is, is done to I don't know if it's to it doesn't have to be redistribute wealth, but it could be anything that essentially tries to address the needs of the people who are complaining. Uh, and I think one of the projects um, or one of the papers that was interesting, for example, um, out of FHI was the windfall clause, like this this agreement where, you know, all the companies who are building AGI just agree beforehand that if, or not even AGI, just really advanced AI systems, if they build, um, AI that, and if they accrued more than say a certain percentage of global GDP, like we're talking about, they are so much more productive than anyone else on the planet by a factor, like an absurd factor, then um, um, a certain percentage of their money is reallocated in a trust and, you know, it's decided how this money is spent. And like, I think a eucatastrophe for me would be maybe some event where we collectively agree that enough is enough. And we need to break out of this paradigm and uh, we we become bigger people and um, 
kind of, you know, in, in a scenario where nobody would expect um, this to happen, where you're pleasantly surprised and we do put a, a stop to the, to the machine and agree on, uh, on better, uh, more ethical practices um, around, um, yeah, maybe just proceeds of AI or anything like that. That, that for me would, would probably be something I think about as a bit more dramatic in the human catastrophe space. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's, uh, um, and thank you for, for joining us here today and for helping run FLI and for putting on this world build competition. I think what we've done here today really shows like both how important it is for us to start thinking about these things, but also how hard it is. Um, so we often come to uh, uh, <laughs> where you, okay, I don't have the answer to this. Uh, how do I problem solve? Um, and it's going to, it's going to be a bumpy ride, but yeah, let's, let's keep pushing. Um, and I think that's it really. Do you want to share just when the last submission date for the world build competition is? Of course it's April 15th. Um, that's when submissions close. I think we'll, we'll announce finalists. 20 finalists i think a month from then and the final winners will um we'll make we'll make public sometime in june but last last time to enter last day to enter is april 15th okay that's great we'll try to have the podcast out by then then uh well thank you for joining us anna and uh it was lovely to be here